Good morning. Welcome. It's uh, good to see you all here. Welcome to you if you're joining us online. One of the great privileges that every Christian has is that they can say, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And on Thursday evening, we're looking forward to another person telling how that has worked out in their lives. So there's a a note for church members. There's a church meeting after the service on Thursday so we can join in rejoicing with someone who has known God's love in their lives. But the story doesn't stop there. As those of you who are looking up there, you'll, you'll be reminded that God has prepared good works for each one of his children to do in bringing in his kingdom. All of us are in different places in the week doing different things and we're serving God there. But there's something special about being a band of brothers and sisters joined together in fellowship to bring God's kingdom in as God helps us. And we've got lots coming up in the next month that we can work together for God in. All of us should be praying for the ladies' curry night, for the men's golf event, for the holiday Bible weekend. We need God to work so that other people find out about this glorious saviour. But as well as praying, let's think about what we can do. If God's given us some gift or talent, or just the ability to do something that needs doing, I'm sure those who are coordinating the things would love to hear from us. Because fellowship doesn't just mean chatting to each other, It doesn't just mean caring, but in the Bible, it's that idea of being yoked together to do what God wants. So those are things that we're organising. And then I understand that somebody else has organised something. Um, The coronation gives us a great opportunity to talk about the real king. The king who rules and rules and, re- rules and reigns. We've got quite a few copies of this booklet outside. Um, please do take one, read one, read it, and give it to someone who might be interested, not only in our king, who we should be praying for, but our great king. Those of you who were here last week were reminded we started looking um, at uh, Nehemiah. And after our next song, Paul's going to give us a summary of where we've got to so far, as well as reading the passage that um, John's going to be teaching us from. But before that, uh, let's stand and sing and worship as people of the risen king. So when the music starts, let's uh, stand and sing, come people of the risen king.
Last week in chapter 1, we were introduced to Nehemiah, a Jewish exile in the Persian court of King Artaxerxes. He held high office, probably head of security. As a fervent Jew, he was distressed to receive an alarming report of the state of his homeland Judah and of its capital, Jerusalem. After days of fasting and prayer, he courageously asked for substantial leave of absence along with access to timber for building and safe conduct documents. These he received and set out for Judah. And we're going to read from Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 9 up to chapter, uh, verse 12 of chapter 3. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter nine, chapter two, verse nine. 
Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king has sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the good hand of my God that had been upon me and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set up its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zachor the son of Imri built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set up its doors and its bolts and its bars. And next to them Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakos, repaired. And next to them Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezebel, repaired. And next to them Zadok, the son of Baana, repaired. And next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joida the son of Paseah and Meshullam the son of Besadiah repaired the gate of Yashana. They laid its beams and set up its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah the Gibeonite and Jadon the Meronathite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them Azil the son of Hahiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him Hananiah one of the perfumers repaired and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them Raphael, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem repaired. Next to them Jediah, the son of Haramoth repaired, opposite his house. 
And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabneah, repaired. Malkijah, the son of Harim, and Hashab, the son of Pehath Moab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half of the district of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. Paul. It's uh, great to hear how the people were all joining in that work. Um, let's sing again, and we, as we sing, we're going to be praying that our God will be guiding us. So let's stand and sing, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. And after that, Josh has got the children's talk. Good morning. Um, I've got something to show you. Now, can anyone see what this is from here? 
Any ideas? What do you think? Yeah, is anyone scared of bugs here? No one's too scared. I'm not going to take them out because um, that could be risky. But can you see in there? Can you see? Can you see how many there are? Or can you spot where they are? How many do you think you've seen in there? Yeah, there are two. That's right. Well done. So they're not they're not invisible, but they're a little bit hard to see, aren't they? Why are they hard to see? They blend in, yeah. How do they blend in? Yeah, and so and and stick bugs, stick insects. We, uh, what we, what everyone knows about them is that they blend in and they look like sticks. That's why they're called stick insects. Um, I can't hold on this. Uh, so one of the ways they sneak, they they they're a bit sneaky and they hide. They've got two things that I know about that they do. So one of them is that they try to look like a leaf. Yeah, because leaves, they, in the wind, they get blown and they sort of sway around. So sometimes, even though there's no wind in there, you'll look at the bug and it'll be kind of going. And it's pretending to be blown in the wind, which looks really funny because it looks like it's dancing. And the other thing it does sometimes is it's got six legs, but the two legs at the front, sometimes it kind of does this with them to try to make itself look more like a stick, which I also think is really funny. It's like if I was playing hide and seek and I stood behind a tree and did this. That's kind of what they're doing. So they're hard to see because they blend into their surroundings. And I thought that was interesting because the Bible says that we shouldn't be like that. Don't drop them. Don't drop them. Put them down. The Bible says we shouldn't be like that. It says we shouldn't blend into our surroundings. Um, and I've got a Bible verse where I think we see a bit of that. Okay, so this, this Bible verse says, Do not be shaped by this world. Now that is exactly what those bugs are doing, isn't it? They're looking around and they're saying, aha, there's sticks, I will be the same shape. And this is saying that we shouldn't do the same thing. So how are we shaped by the world? We might be shaped by the world if, say you're at school and everyone's doing the same kind of thing, and maybe it's something that you shouldn't be doing, it's saying stuff you shouldn't be saying, it's being mean to some kid that everyone else is being mean to, and sometimes it's tempting to be shaped by that and to blend into the surroundings and think, yep, I'm going to do the same thing like a stick insect. But, but God says that we shouldn't be shaped by the world. We shouldn't just copy everyone and everything that's around us when that's not good. But it says instead we should be changed by a new way of thinking. So we'd be shaped by God. So we shouldn't be like stick insects. We shouldn't blend in to everything around us. But there's something we should do instead. And we've got another verse so this says we should be a light. Now, is a light harder or easier to see than the stick insects? It's easier to see, isn't it? You turn a light on and everyone says, oh, the light's come on. So we shouldn't be hard to see. We should be the opposite. We should be a light. We should be really easy to see. So what does that mean? What's it mean to be easy to see? It says you should be a light for other people, live so that they will see the good things you do. So it's not, we're not supposed to wear really bright clothes so everyone can see us. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that they should see the good things you do. Why should we do good things? So that they will praise your Father in heaven. So when people see us at church, with our friends, at school, places like that, people shouldn't be like, oh, you are the same as everyone around. You are the same as everyone around you. You're like a stick insect blending in. They should say, oh, you're a bit different. You do really good, nice things. You're a bit different 
to everyone else around who isn't always doing really nice things. So what shouldn't we be like? Come on, guys. What shouldn't we be like? Stick insects. And what should we be like? We should be like a light. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, But that is really hard. That is really hard. So I want you to remember those two things. But let me pray for us before we finish. Lord God, we thank you um, that you've given us the Bible and you talk to us and you tell us what we should be like. Um, and Lord, we pray that you'd help us to not um, be shaped by the world around us and to be hiding and be, be blending in um, like stick insects. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to be instead like lights, that everybody would be able to see us because we do good things. Um, and we do good things that show people um, what you are like. Please help us to do that, Lord, um, because we are not good, but you are good, and we need your help in that. Amen. Well done. Thank you for listening, guys. Let's carry on praying. Our Father, we thank you that we can come to you. We thank you that you brought light into this world in the first place. That you are so powerful, you speak. And this whole world came into place. Oh Lord, we, we ask that there will be more of your good light in this world, that there will be more kindness, that there will be more compassion, that there will be more people living like Jesus did. Oh Lord, those of us who know and love you know how hard it is to try and live your way. Oh Lord, we we pray that you will show us your truth more and more. We pray that our minds will be renewed because we are spending time listening to your voice rather than the voice of the majority. Oh Lord, we, we pray that you will help us to stand out and shine as lights in this world. Oh Lord, we pray that we won't stand out for the wrong reasons for our unkindness or our, our critical spirit, but we pray that we will be those who bring your kingdom in by sharing the light of Jesus. Oh Lord, we, we know that not everyone loves the light. They'd rather stay in the dark. And They'd rather go their selfish, evil ways. And Lord, you know that we are sometimes wanting to go that way ourselves. So we pray, Lord, that you will remind us of the beauty of the light and of the trouble that the darkness brings. We pray, too, that you'll give us hearts that care enough for people to share the good news, even if people might not like hearing it. Oh Lord, we pray that your good news will be 
more widely spread, more keenly listened to in our country. And Lord, we need you to work. Oh Lord, we we pray that you'll work in us. We pray that you'll bring us to love you more, to know you more. Oh Lord, we pray that our, our big satisfaction will come from the fact that we are loved by God, that we love you and that you have created us as your children to do good work for you. And that one day, the King of Heaven will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy me forever. Oh Lord, you you know the things that are in our lives. We pray that you will give us your peace, your grace and your wisdom to deal with the things that we cannot change. Oh Lord, we thank you that you tell us to cast our cares on you, knowing that you care for us. And we pray that you will provide for what we need. Oh, we thank you that you're a good father and that you don't give bad presents to your children who ask and you tell us to open our mouths wide and you encourage us to bring our requests to you. Oh Lord, forgive us for the way that so often we try and fix things ourselves. And it's only when the problems get so big that we, we can't cope with them that we bring them to you. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be wise children who come to their Father with our every need. Oh Lord, we know we're not wise children. We know that this week we've done things that we shouldn't have done. We've said things that we shouldn't have said. We've loved ourselves far too much and we haven't loved you like we should have done nor have we loved other people like we should have done. Lord, we pray that you will forgive us. We pray that you will help us to talk to you and be specific about what we've done that has offended you so that we may know that joy of being forgiven. And we pray, Lord, you'll keep us from Satan's attacks. Oh Lord, we thank you that you care about us, but we're glad that you care about this whole world. You care about our country, and Lord, we pray that you will give our rulers wisdom. Oh Lord, we do thank you for the freedom we enjoy. We thank you that individuals are valued in our country, and Lord, we pray that that will continue. We thank you that we have stability We thank you for the royal family. And we thank you that as a country we will be gathering to recognise a new king. Oh, you tell us to pray for those who are in authority over us and we pray for him. Oh, Father, we pray that you will save the king. That you will bring him to know you fully. To know your love your forgiveness, and to follow you wholeheartedly. Oh, we pray for his family. Lord, you you know the struggles they have. 
We know something of them because it's all over the papers. But we can't feel their pain. We can't understand everything. Oh Lord, we pray that your good news will come into that family. That they will know the peace and love and forgiveness that only you can bring. And we pray that for our politicians who have the real power in this country. Oh Lord, we ask that you will speak your truth to them, that you will give them messengers of your good news. And Lord, that you will prevent the plans of evil people, which will destroy people, which will exploit people, which will confuse our children. Oh Lord, we we ask for your mercy on our country. And Lord, we do pray that your people who have the name of belonging to you will be faithful in following you. Lord, we pray that there will be real clarity about the message of Jesus. Oh Lord, we pray especially for the Christians who are in the Church of England. Oh Lord, we we ask that you will help them as the leadership seem to be making very bad choices which don't fit in with what you teach. Oh, we don't know what they should do, but we do know that you know. And we are thankful that you promise us that you work out everything for the very best to those who love you. So we pray that you will be working out that situation so that the message of Jesus comes out more and more clearly. And we pray for ourselves. We pray that you will give us that confidence, that you are good and that you are in control. And that whatever is happening, you are working that out for the very best in our lives. Oh Lord, you know how hard it is for us to grip hold of that. And we ask that you will help us to do that. And Lord, we ask that those who don't know you. Oh Lord, we pray that you will waken them up, that you will help them to see what is empty, help them to see what is futile, help them to understand that one day they will meet their maker and give an account of what they've done with everything you've given them. Oh Father, we pray that many we know and love will turn to you and know the joy and peace which comes from following you. And as we look forward to hearing what you're going to tell us from the life of Nehemiah, we pray that you'll help John. We pray that the words he speaks to us will go into our heads, into our hearts, and really help us to serve you in this next week. Amen. So we're going to sing again. And we're going to sing about how all of us are part of God's great mission. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing.
do you find uh, getting going a problem? Uh, maybe in the morning. Maybe with that piece of homework which you've had for a few days. Maybe with that clearing out of the shed which you plan to do for some months. Maybe as you start a, a new task or responsibility, getting going. Getting going is often quite difficult. Well, last week we found ourselves in the Middle East uh, with Nehemiah. We had three main points. Um, news, prayer, action. Uh, we saw how he reacted to the state of the situation in Jerusalem, how God had put it in his heart to request leave and head to Jerusalem to embark on the rebuilding of the wall, to give the status and security and the honour of Jerusalem back. And uh, Nehemiah and his entourage are now in the region. The region is called Beyond the River. It's a massive region um, west of the Euphrates, including several of the countries of the Middle East now, and including the city of Jerusalem. And he arrives into the region in the passage that we're in this morning. Uh, There's a couple of senior officials in the area who are none too pleased to see Nehemiah on the scene. Sherlock Holmes has his Moriarty. Batman has his Joker. Aslan has the White Witch people that keep cropping up to oppose the work that is done in a story. Well, here in this factual account of Nehemiah, we have Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem, rather than Moriarty, the Joker and the White Witch. And they get their first mention in chapter 2 and verse 10. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Those names will crop up quite a few times in coming weeks. Having arrived then in Jerusalem, what will Nehemiah's first move be? Does he call a press conference? Does he start ordering people about? Does he grab some bricks and some cement and get to it? Well, in our section today, we're going to see three main things that happen uh, in Nehemiah's time. We're going to spend more time on the third, which covers all of chapter 3. And en route, we're going to get, I think, some pretty smart lessons for us, for our lives, and for our service. And we're also going to be able to see what happens when God is especially at work and transforming a situation. And that will encourage us and hopefully energise us. We start off with a, a nighttime survey. That's the first thing that happens in what we're doing, a nighttime survey. Now, leaders often have, don't they, up-front roles. It's usually inevitable with a leader. But here, Nehemiah, his first manoeuvre is deliberately under the radar 
and low profile. Actually, it's quite emphasised. Hopefully you'll have the passage open in front of you. And in verse 12 of uh, chapter 2, then I arose. He's had a few days after his arrival. It took several months to get there, by the way. There's a few days where nothing so much happens. And then it says, then I arose in the night... I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. And then in verse 16, And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. It was, it was on the quiet. It was under the radar. It was more sort of private. And what does it involve? Well, it involves um, it's, it's surveying the damage, really. He does a circuit of Jerusalem to see exactly what the situation is. There's not a lot of fuss and commotion. He wants to, what's he want to do? He wants to establish the facts. He wants to see for himself the state of things. So you get in verse 13... At the end, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. We have our proverbs, don't we? Look before you leap. Less haste, more speed. And Nehemiah was a, a wise man. Uh, when we're tasked with a, a new responsibility, with a new project, when we're leading others, it is wise to assess the scene first. To count the costs, to get the facts, to see what the situation really is like on the ground before we get going. There's another proverb, isn't there? Act in haste, repent at leisure. Blundering in, sort of half blind, into a situation can cause a lot of damage. Causes a lot of damage on our own when we do things hastily, without thought. And when we're leaders, it magnifies and multiplies the damage to others as well. Creates a bigger mess. So it is good to take time to assess, to gather the information to consult with a few key people before our plan or the way forward is, is sort of too far out there as wise living. Maybe think of what James and Phil uh, had been doing in Turkey. So they had been given some funds and their collections here and around towards the um, earthquake, earthquake relief in Turkey and they've gone over from Cyprus and they assessed the scene. They went around and examined what the situation was, what might need to be done so that they could make some assessment of a good use of the funds before the plan started. Well, I thought as they were doing that, that's in line with what Nehemiah did and his nighttime survey. There is a time to go forward, yes. Some people end up researching and dithering and doing nothing. Paralysis, analysis paralysis it's called. But it is good to survey, to consult, to see for ourselves, to count the cost. And in fact, Jesus advises those who are thinking of following him. Maybe that's you. 
those who are thinking of following Jesus, he advises them to count the cost. In Luke 14, it says this in verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. If you're thinking of following Jesus Christ, it's a definite change of direction in your life, repenting and turning to follow him, that's great news, and I would encourage you in that. But do think it through, Jesus says. Do have some idea of its implications. Count the costs before you get going. There's another thought that struck me, here, as we look at what Nehemiah did, and that's the, the balance, if you like, between what's public and private in our lives. And perhaps if we're leaders, what's public and what's private. There's some things that are, are sort of above the surface and seen. There are some things that are underneath. There's the, the iceberg, which is visible above the sea. There's the iceberg beneath the ocean, which can't be seen. So there is part of our life which is more quiet, which is more thoughtful, which is getting ready, which is out of the public eye. And some of us uh, 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 are, if you like, motivated, very motivated when when we're in the public eye, when things are being seen, uh, when the spotlight is on. But maybe we haven't got any time for planning and thinking through and preparing and praying and consulting. And that has its dangers. It wasn't the way Nehemiah went. Sent my thoughts, you know, to Jesus. He had a public ministry, healing, teaching. But quite often, you know, instead of being in the public eye, he would retreat to the mountains to pray, to consult with his father. Spent a lot of time with just a small group of men, his disciples, influencing them. There's a public side and a private side. We've got the balance right. Do we realise there's a private, quieter side to responsibility as well as the public side? Well, Nehemiah then is clear on the situation, but uh, a leader does need to communicate, and that's what happens in verses 14 to 20, when you get mobilising the troops. Mobilising the troops. Uh, What God has put in this man's heart, Nehemiah, he cannot do on his own, can he? he? He needs others to accomplish. And he now speaks to those who will be involved with the work. And we, we get a snippet of what he says, a summary of what he says, in verses 17 and 18. And it's, for, it's stirring stuff, you know. Then I said to them, so the private bit's behind, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned, Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. 
some ways it's a good, if you like, a good motivational talk, isn't it? It is stirring stuff, but it's more than that. It's concerned for God's honour and it acknowledges God's help and God's blessing be on this whole thing. So it's a spiritually minded motivational talk, if you like. Well, how does it go down? And this is a key point, isn't it? This is a key point. They could have been resistant. What do you know, Nehemiah, you newcomer? We've tried it all before, it just hasn't worked. I haven't got spare time to do anything else. You just keep your big ideas to yourself, Nehemiah. It's a key part of the account. And Nehemiah would have been a lone voice. And he would have achieved nothing. And he would have probably gone home to Persia rather humbled. And Jerusalem and its wall would have stayed as it was. But God is at work here. And God is at work through his words and in the hearts of the people. And how do they respond? End of verse 18. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. They were motivated. Are you motivated? I look out on you. Are you motivated for good work, for God's work? You engaged and stirred, keen, you see the need, moved. Are you like that in your own life? Maybe your own life in many ways is in ruins, it's in a shameful state. And Jesus says to you, follow me. Is there a response in your heart so that you follow him? As a Christian... Are you stirred? <coughs> Wanting to do his work. We serve God in all sorts of ways. But so much of serving God is driven really by what's known as the Great Commission. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples after the resurrection in the days before he returned to his father. And what's our response to these words? Not Nehemiah's words, but Jesus' words to his disciples and his church. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do those words move you? Do they have a bearing on your life? We shall sing at the end of the service, we bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. As is the same commission 
the same glad message hours, fired by the same ambition, to you we yield our powers. O Father who sustained them, O Spirit who inspired, Saviour whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired, from cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake, Forth on your errand, send us to labour for your sake. Do the words stir? Do some of the other words stir? Feed my sheep, said Jesus. Do not grow weary while doing good, for in due season you will reap if you will do not lose heart, says 1 Corinthians. Fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Mobilising the troops, Nehemiah communicated. The words had resonance and there was a stirring to life in the scene at Jerusalem. But it wasn't all plain sailing. Our gospel opposers, Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, they jeer in response to what Nehemiah is saying, but Nehemiah is confident in his mission and his God. Verse 20, then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we are his servants. We will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. We move on to All Hands on Deck. Chapter 3 is a tremendous chapter. It's not necessarily a tremendous chapter to read. Paul did exceedingly well with all those names and there was another 20 verses of them. But it's uh, a tremendous chapter in terms of its lessons. And in God's power, Nehemiah's call lands well and things start to happen and the verse, 32 verses of chapter 3 about people taking action. And as I thought about the lessons from the chapter, uh, and tried to think of key words, I found a number of words and they were all beginning with V. I've, I've never had uh, points before or sub-points before beginning with V, but there, there were a lot of... V's that uh, came to mind. Do you have a think about what happens? Perhaps have a look in chapter 3. The, wo- the words themselves aren't there. I think valley is probably the only one that begins with V and that's not one of my points. Nor have I cheated by having very in front of them all to make them all start with V. Any, any, any thoughts as to key words about the helpers in chapter 3 that might begin with V? Just... Varied, thank you. Volume. Volume. Value. Value. Let's see where we get to. Well, my the first my first one was volume. The sheer volume of helpers. So many names. So many groups. Such a concerted effort. It was all hands on deck. If you do a, a count-up of the different names and groups, it'll be approaching 50. 
here's a, a, a slide of the wall of Jerusalem. You can't see the, the, the wording, but it, it'll give you a, a, a rough idea of the shape. And uh, it's a sort of Y-shaped and you'll see through the chapter all sorts of parts of it, different gates mentioned, different parts of the wall, from the top there where it starts at about sort of one o'clock-ish, there at the sheep gate, and it goes round anti-clockwise, down to the dung gate, that couldn't have been a very nice area to be, that's at the bottom of the city of Jerusalem, this is where the sort of refuse area was, down in the valley, goes back up the other side. And so many groups involved with building the wall of Jerusalem. It's a great thing when people are stirred together to serve. And there's not just one or two bearing the whole load, getting run down and burnt out, but there's many seeking to do what they can in serving God and blessing others. The volume of people, I reckon that's why it's all written out. So many, real people doing things. There is variety. got six. There's variety. It's a big range of people. We start with the high priest in verse 1. An honoured person, the only person who was allowed in the very centre of the temple once a year, and yet he gets his hands dirty. He's willing to help out. He's involved with the sheep gate near the temple, probably called sheep gate because that's where the sacrifices were done. And he's willing to do it with his fellow priests. And they, they consecrate the first bit of the work that's done, they consecrate the sheep gate as they set its doors and it sort of sets the tone, it's sponsored from the top if you like. There's inevitable delegation isn't there in the life of church and organisations but you know leaders should be servants. We serve a saviour Jesus, who was willing to pick up the towel and wash the grubby feet of his disciples as an act of service. So there is the priest and the high priest. What what other groups of people, what other sorts of people? Have a look, any... Anything stand out from, not not the names particularly, but the sort of groups they were from or, or represented... Sorry? Yes, different trades. Perfumers and goldsmiths. Verse 8. Any other sort of groups, types stand out? Thank you. Daughters. Wasn't just the men only involved here. Verse 12. Shalom, he and his daughters. And there were rulers. And there were family units, brothers, verse 18. There were people from different areas, from Jericho and from Gibeon and from Mizpah. There were temple workers. There were merchants. I guess 
They did different amounts. Four marks to Hanan and Zenoah. Between them, they did a gate and then a stretch of about 500 yards of wall in verse 13. Thousand cubits of a wall. Others probably did a little bit because that's all they could manage. Great variety in those who were involved with the work. And one of the joys of Christian service is people coming together with a single goal. You found it perhaps in the past when you've worked on children's weeks or you've gone to prayer meetings or you've involved with First Tuesday or the different ministries that are run by the church here and there's been a coming together often of varied people. It's the sort of thing that will happen in that week of outreach as we build up to it with some preparing breakfasts and some inviting people and some perhaps running creches and some doing talks and some praying behind the scenes. Lots of people, varied people coming together to serve God and to bless others. Another V was vicinity. Where did they do? Where did they do? Well, they often do their bit close to their house. You notice that? J and H in verse 10, I'm making myself easier for myself with the names here. Opposite his house. B and H, verse 23, opposite their house. A and A in the same verse, a bit later on, beside his own house. The priests in verse 28 opposite his own house. Zed in verse 29 opposite his own house. Sometimes people are called to do a work miles away. In fact Nehemiah had been, hadn't he? He travelled nearly a thousand miles to be involved with this project in Jerusalem. But for many, service is near to where they're at. We say charity starts at home. Well, service often starts near to home. Uh, Sometimes we we want to serve the Lord, want to bless others, but we don't know where to start. And we don't really know where we fit in. And and it's good to think, well, try first things that are close to you. Maybe look to be a blessing, to get alongside, to help. Those in your family, those who you know well, those who are your friends. But it's not just those who are necessarily close to you physically in space. Serve in a way perhaps which is close to your previous experience maybe. What's close to your heart and what really stirs you. Serve in a way that... um, is close to what you're quite good at or quite close to your age group and phase in life. They all served, or many of them served, in the bit just near them. It worked well because if they were all doing near them, then a lot of the wall was already being covered. You have in this scene vitality. You have life. Notice the life in what happens. People stir into life. Isn't it a bit like a dry desert after rain which is suddenly sprouting with with flowers? 
the gardens now in the spring which are sprouting, springing up flowers, or trees around us where suddenly the whole tree all over it is starting to show green as the leaves come out. There is reviving here. It's widespread. There is life. God is producing spiritual life. And that's something to pray for. For your heart, for my heart, for the hearts of others, God stirring to life. Perhaps you've had a barren patch as a Christian. Nothing much happening. Pray for life. We lived in some pretty barren decades as a country, spiritually. Pray for life. God's work led to vitality. Here's a sad one. Vacuum. Vacuum. What do I mean by that? Well, vacuum is a space, isn't it? There's a gap with nothing in it. And there was a gap in the workforce. Just one. Did you, did you notice it as we went through? Anyone see a gap in the workforce? What, what verse it might be in? Verse 5, thank you. And next to him, the, the Tekoites repaired. Well, that was good. Amos would have been pressed. That was uh, his sort of patch. But we carry on. Their nobles, the Tekoite nobles, would not stoop to serve their Lord. They wouldn't stoop. It was below them. They're not joining in. They're on the sidelines. It's the only sort of sour note in the whole chapter, isn't it? Not because they were too old and unable to serve, not because they had ill health and were confined to home, but because they thought themselves above serving, because they weren't interested in the project, because it was just not for them. Are any of us like these nobles... Leave it to others. Not interested in God's work and blessing others. Live for our own lives. Is is the vacuum us-shaped? Because we're just sitting out and we're not motivated and stirred to be involved with serving God and blessing others. Last one, volunteering, volunteering. I found an interesting question going through my mind. Um, How much influence did Nehemiah have on what happens in chapter 3? How much organising does he do? There's been some allocation, perhaps some boundary management. Well, you do to there and you do to, you know, he must have been involved. He certainly stirred them up in general. Did he dictate everything? How many, how many times is Nehemiah mentioned in chapter three? Well, unless I'm wrong, and I could be. Once in verse 16, And that's a different Nehemiah. 
Interesting, isn't it? I guess he must have been involved, suggesting, assigning people, you know, coordinator, you know, it needed some organising. Things do need organising. You, you can't have leaders who do nothing. But the emphasis is on the people. Their willingness, what they were wanting to do, what they were prepared to do, what they then got on and did. Nehemiah's not sort of up front with his clipboard. He's not a slave driver. He's not nagging all the people. These folks are volunteering and wanting to work. As one of the Psalms says, they were made willing in the day of his power. Well, there's a balance in church life as to how much is directed and how much is left to people. And it's a balance which I wrestle with and other leaders wrestle with and I'm not sure we always get it right. But so much of what's important and what does, does need to rest with a willingness in the hearts of people to serve the Lord. To do what we can, to not shrink, to be thinking, I'm in, I'll do what I can, I'll do what's in my area. I know that's true of so many here. I had two Bible studies this week, encouraging times. There were new member studies, uh, one with mature Christians, uh, one with newer Christians. The theme for both was serving together. One of the main pictures we were looking at from the New Testament is the body of Christ and the way in which Christ's church is a body made up of lots of different parts doing different things. It's the same that you have here in Nehemiah 3. Be people of a certain age here, especially in the 20s, the phrase, we're all in this together, is quite meaningful. Because you've watched High School Musical in the past. And that's what's going on here, isn't it? We're all in this together, a united serving. And that's what there is in the church, a coming together of Christ and his people wanting to serve the Lord. Are you a willing part of God's work. So, they've got going. They've got going. The project is on its way. It's a scene of action. The walls are are going up around Jerusalem. People's hearts are stirred. The scene is encouraging. And will it be plain sailing from now on? Until completion. Well, not with uh, Sam Ballot and Tobiah on the scene. There's going to be difficulties, and we'll see quite a few of those in a couple of weeks' time. <coughs> Let's have a pause for personal response before we have our last hymn. Let's keep the, the um, slide up if we can. It may be that one of those Vs. Um, strikes you as something to especially pray about for yourself in terms of living and working for the Lord or it may be one of the lessons from further up. Let's have a a moment to think and pray for ourselves.
Well, shall we sing together our last song then? Quoted some of it already. It's related to the Great Commission set by Christ for us, facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undermined rebukes our slothful ease. O Father who sustained them, O Spirit who inspired, O Saviour whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired. From 
cowardice, defend us from lethargy, awake. Forth on your errands, send us to labour for your sake. Amen.